The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org. Before we get started, Father, would you like to lead us in a prayer? Sure, absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Amen. St. Isidore, Bishop and uh, Doctor of the Church, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for that, Father. Pastoralia is, as always, a show that seeks to deal with questions that may not be dealt with in a sermon or in a catechism class, but uh, maybe you'd be able to ask Father if you caught him at Coffee and Donuts on Sunday if he wasn't busy talking to everyone else as well. So here you, we have Father captive as an audience for you. As usual, Father, uh, we are going to start our show by picking up the leftovers of the, uh, the past show, and that's to talk about uh, stuff that we can do on a Sunday or, or things that are, are permitted on a Sunday. And someone had, uh, had, had followed up with the question, Father, should we go out to eat on Sundays to support businesses that are, are working on the Sabbath? Are we then indirectly causing people to work on Sunday because we're supporting businesses? Those businesses only stay open because they can get customers, you know, not not quite a boycott situation, but uh, is that okay? Can we go out to eat on Sundays, Father? To go out to eat is 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 always okay on a Sunday because, well, first off is that um, it's a when we see them working on a Sunday, it's you they're preparing a meal that you have to eat. I mean, that's the you know that's one of the general principles of life is that you have to eat, and especially on a Sunday. And to go out for a bite to eat on a Sunday is is fine because you're, you know, whether you show up there or not is not going to change whether those people work on Sunday or not. So your your participation in it is 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 something that is you know very remote. In addition to that, if you didn't go out to eat, you'd still end up having to cook anyway. So somebody is going to the you know the work that's being done is something that is. Don't they have to be done either by you or by somebody else? And you know, them preparing a meal and doing dishes and everything like that is is perfectly, you know, that's something that you would be able to do on a Sunday. And so, therefore, when other people are doing it for you at a restaurant, um, you know, it's just it's a nice treat for for a Sunday, especially if you have a bunch of family members and you know you don't necessarily want to 
you know, destroy your house by preparing this monster meal, but you can keep everybody <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, you can keep everybody together for a nice meal or something. It's, you know, to to go out to eat, that's, that is, um, I mean, I know that long ago there weren't many options that were open on a Sunday, but now that they are, it's, um, you know, we can, we can certainly do so. But there, you know, at times there were restaurants, even, even before the council that would be open and, and Catholics could, could partake of, of going out for a meal. Um, in the, so nobody should have any worries about going to a restaurant. It, um, it's really more taking care of unnecessary things. So, you know, uh, on a Sunday, if you, for instance, if you were out of milk, you could run to the store and grab a, you know, a gallon of milk because you needed it for that Sunday's meal. But if you, if you had an opportunity to do, you know, you don't go out and do your whole giant bulk shopping on a Sunday, you know, the, the big giant grocery shop, because that could be done at any other time during the week. It's, it's more of, you know, only out of necessity do you go and shop. But um, so we, we should really have that, that spirit of the law more than the, the real, the letter of the law mentality towards, towards those things. You know, we need to, you have to eat and, and the, the restaurant is able to provide you with that food. So don't, don't feel bad about going and going out and eating at a restaurant on a Sunday. And I suppose we just have to put that in the context of a gas station. You know, nobody really uh, ever questions whether you should, you know, is, are you okay to get gas on a Sunday? Uh, you know, sometimes <laughs> people drive such a long distance, they, they use up a full tank of gas, and no one's asking you to carry an extra tank of gas in your trunk, you know, uh, on Saturday <laughs> that you filled up, so you don't do uh, do commerce. So obviously there's, there's as I think you say, Father, some balance there. Although if you do have right. a home that's big enough to host your, your family, uh, um, uh, or if you've had enough, I think, Father, over by St. Gertrude's, there's that pancake house that has that ridiculous uh, huge old Dutch uh, pancake that takes like 20 minutes to, to make. It's like this big apple. Uh, not that I'm not that I'm dreaming of it or anything, but uh, but after Lent, uh, you know, one 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 might one might want something like that. So uh, uh, it's good. Right. Good. Thank you for the clarity. Now, someone had followed up with a, a canon law question. Uh, is there is there a canon that provides for us actually doing literal work? Uh, be it uh, uh, intellectual work or uh, uh, manual labor on Sunday, is there any exception to that? There was a question. Uh, there, there is exception to it, and that is an exception of necessity. So, you know, when we think of the example of our Lord, you know, healing on the Sabbath day, and then the the the, the Jews they attacked him for for healing the man on on a Sabbath day, and he asked those Jews, those same Pharisees, which one of you, if you had a, a, a an ass that fell into a ditch, would not pull him out on the Sabbath day? I mean, if there's a legitimate necessity, then, you know, then there's exception to the rule. Once again, it's that, that spirit of the law. So, you know, generally speaking, we're not allowed to do manual labor. But, you know, if you were... Uh, an essential uh, you're you have an essential occupation for instance so if you were a police officer and you could you know they have rotating shifts or something well the population you know crime doesn't take a break on sunday so they need police 
on a Sunday to to be working, and if it's your turn to take that shift, then then that's what it what it is. And also, if if you couldn't get a Sunday off because it'd be, you know, it, it, you you it's extreme hardship to to you to get off on the Sunday and do it do harm to your career because maybe you get you could even possibly get fired for refusing to work on a Sunday, then that's kind of an exception to the rule too. Now we shouldn't be making excuses. Don't just say, well, you know, I was asked to work on Sunday, so I'll just do it when you could legitimately get out of it. But, but at the same time, if, if there's no way out of working on a Sunday and you have to, then that's something that may be done um, that, you know, and in those situations, you know, in keeping with that same idea, the spirit of the law, we should also realize that, first off, once again, we have to remember that we still have to keep that day holy. So we, you know, we should be doing prayers and we should be reading and we should, you know, be doing spiritual things to the best of our ability. And uh, that uh, we also shouldn't be just looking for opportunities to, to work. And we should... And we should try to make up, if we can't make it to Mass on a Sunday because of a necessity, then we should try to come on a different day to at least, you know, be able to attend Mass, you know, just to say to God, all right, I wasn't able to fulfill my Sunday obligation because of uh, of a real necessity, but I'm here on, you know, Tuesday because uh, I don't have to work this day, and at least I'm going to, to honor you in, in in that way. So it's, you know... It's one of those things that we have to use kind of our Catholic sense, if you will, our Catholic common sense in that way. We, we still want to give all we can to God. And, you know, usually, generally speaking, that means for most people that they should be able to get to, they should be able to treat Sunday as a proper day of rest and as, as a Sunday. As for manual labor, say, around the house or something, um, or projects or whatever that need to be done, then then it, it's more of a i guess in that way a subjective type of situation if you know if it's a true necessity that has to be done on a certain day and can't be done otherwise then then you'd be allowed but i would i would uh, i would ask people to, to to talk to their priest ask their priest you know i have this i can't do it another time can i do it today and that way you that way we're not being our own judge towards it. We're not trying to just, we don't slip into making excuses for ourselves, but, but at the same time, um, so we're, we're making sure that it's something we can actually, we actually have to do and we can go forward with good conscience in that way, knowing that, okay, I'm doing something and the priest said I'm allowed to do it and I don't have any worries from there on out. Okay. Um, the last question we had as follow-up from, from last episode, uh, Father, was uh, about the general confession, and the, the, the meat of the question was, well, Father, it's all well and good for a general confession, but if you're a set of a contest and there's an interregnum, what do you do for reserved sins, sins that are reserved to an ordinary or to a delegate priest or, to, or even to the Holy Father himself? Uh, what, what's, what's the discipline? Well, in in those situation in the situation that we're in now, you know, reserve sins are obviously that reservation is important. But you know, if there the, there's this is really where that principle of epikaya applies. The principle that if the 
the, the law ceases to bind if it does harm. You know, people need to be forgiven from their sin. That's, that's something that he and the church is all. He, that's why confession is there. If someone falls into sin, it's an unfortunate thing, but they need to have forgiveness for that in order to save their soul. God wouldn't prevent people from saving their souls, and so the laws of the church are important, but in that way, if you say you fell into a reserve sin, say if it was someone had uh, in their, their past life had uh, procured an abortion, for instance, that's a reserved sin, and now they, you know, they since had conversion and they feel terrible about it and they want to, you know, they, they're going to confess it, confess it. Normally speaking, the, the, the priest that they're going to confession to would have to, if you will, kick it up the line, you know, to, to where it's reserved. But seeing as we don't have any authority with jurisdiction to do that, we're, we're allowed to forgive those sins. And that's, you know, I think in in I think that's a, if there's a, one thing more than a lot. There's, if there's something that points to the necessity of the priests today having really good training, not just going to any you know rogue priest that's out there. It's that it's in that area of confession uh, is one of the chief areas because you, you priests now more than than ever need to be really well grounded in principles of morality and 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 uh, moral theology and everything like that because we have to forgive sins that normally we might not have to deal with under normal circumstances in church so for us we're able to forgive those sins and someone should not hesitate to come to us to confession because they might have fallen into a reserved sin uh but and but the you know it's just a uh a heavier weight of uh, of responsibility on on your your local your your pastor's shoulders for for forgiving those sins. So it's uh, but but at the same time we we are free to forgive any sins that come our way in that regard because we have to. There's nobody to appeal to. There's nobody to to send them to for for the re- reservation and uh, and so for us because it's for the good of souls, we, we are allowed to forgive those sins. Very well. For those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Posturalia, Episode 3 on the Restoration Radio Network. Um, I'm Stephen Heiner. Um, that's Father Stephen McKenna. And we were just doing some cleanup from our, our last show, uh, last episode, rather, uh, in which we were talking about uh, uh, confession um we were dealing with what you can do on a sunday and we were talking about general confession and as a result we had some some questions from from the audience which is which is always great and uh and as a result uh we we did some cleanup work now we're going to enter formally into our our episode now and i want to give just a little bit and i'm sorry this is episode four not episode three uh we're going to get into the the uh, heart of our discussion today, so I, I do want to advise, uh, we know we have a lot of families uh, who have children listening. We would just urge you to keep in mind, we're going to be discussing some fairly mature topics, so if you want to take a moment to excuse the children from the room, um, probably anyone under the age of, of 16, 17, 18, although anyone, uh, any family is free to make their own discretionary judgments, but we'll be talking about some uh, 
some pretty sensitive topics today. And Father, those sensitive topics involve uh, who you you live with, who you work with, who you you meet on a daily basis. And one of the things that I've learned during my time here in Europe is uh, just how much the divisions of old from Christendom still persevere, even to an atheistic and non-Christian society. There's still this notion of, of us. So, you know, 90% something, you know, France is nominally Catholic, but, you know, what, you know, less than, it's single digits that actually practice. Um, mm-hmm. But there's still the sense of us and them, even manifesting in a huge demonstration against marriage, quote-unquote marriage equality some time back. Uh, in America, that's never been the case. We've always been uh, a nation of, uh, of others altogether. So we had the Spanish colonize America, we had the French, English, the Native Americans were there. Uh, then you had the Chinese come, you know, during the, the time of the railroad being built and uh, the Mexicans. There, there's no sense of, of the other insofar as the other is your neighbor. So Americans have had to live with people of different creeds, colors, et cetera, from, from the beginning, just about. Um, and there was a lot more... Uh, interestingly enough, uh, paradoxically, it was much more integrated in the South, in the antebellum South cities, and were a lot more integrated, and the North was a lot more segregated. Um, and when we're talking about race, that's one thing. When we're talking about what you can't see on the outside, which is observance, not just of a, a particular religion, in our case, the true religion, but just of the simple laws of God or even what we might say the natural law, that there's a disobedience there. And there's some principles that you need to help, help us understand so that we can deal with these individual cases, because our listeners are going to have individual cases they could bring to you, Father. But I think our goal today is for you to teach us what the general principles are so we can go discern for ourselves what the what the best thing is, rather than send Father your 700 emails about your particular cases. Hopefully today we're going to head off maybe 690 of those emails, and maybe Father, you might send Father 10 of them. And Father, so let's start with, uh, with the workplace and with uh, various categories of people uh, in the workplace who, who aren't fellow practicing Catholics. What are some things that we need to keep in mind, and, and which categories of people are we talking about? All right. Well, first off is that uh, the in general we're going to, like you said, Stephen, especially here in, in America, we're gonna we're going to work with every walk of life that you can think of. Really, you know, there's going to be people from all over the place, especially if you're for a big company, and you know you have to have be able to maintain a, a working relationship there for the good of the purpose of being there, which is to work, to, to, to do a job for a company and, um, and move on with that. And, uh, and then there's the, the, the personal aspect of it. And the biggest sticky points that we run into, which I think that we're going to really deal with here, is those who are homosexuals, those who are living in sin, and those who are divorced and remarried. Those are the the, the biggest, I, I guess, uh, or most common uh, ones where Catholics are, are 
raising their eyebrows saying, okay, now, now what do I do? What, how do I deal with said person who's living a lifestyle that is, is, is really contrary to everything that I know to be true. Uh, that is against, like you were talking about going against what's part of the natural law. And, and I think with those general categories, there's general principles to understand. First off, that our own actions in the workplace, especially towards towards everybody, really, uh, has to be uh, one of consistency in in general demeanor. We, <clears throat> when we see something that is to us, you know, creates that. Oh boy, that's that's wrong, and it's one of the the hot button topics of society today. Um, you know, we have we can sometimes fall into this knee-jerk reaction. We can fall into this, this. Uh, it, wh- how do I do? Do I just shut down? Do I, do I say something? Do I need to correct the person? Do I, whatever it may be. And our first principle principle should always be that calling back to the what is the the highest of, of virtues uh, set down by our Lord, and that is, um, and that is towards charity, that we should always be charitable. So, you know, for for one, you know, we should always be be nice, if you will. That's uh um there's if there's anything that un, is unfortunately you know a, a stigma of traditional Catholics today is that they tend to be kind the kind of rude or they tend to be uh put off or they uh tend to be mean to, to, to people and and that that can't be our demeanor at the workplace. When we think of the early Christians and what was a major source of conversion for the pagans was see how these Christians love one another. One another. They see, see the charity that exuded from these people. We see our Lord ate with sinners and you know interacted with them all the time because you're always hoping for conversion and, and by showing forth charity uh, where we are uh, to, to everybody that we're with is is extremely important because that example is what is put forth and that's what they see and they always come back to they realize well you know so and so is a is a is a Catholic but he's a really nice guy and uh, but what that doesn't include is um, you know participating in sin which we'll get into in a bit but but that but that being nice I don't it sounds a little corny, but at the same time, I don't think I can stress it enough that truly charity is the highest of the virtues. The second part that we need to recognize for ourselves is to be a good example in our lives. Just our our daily life at work uh, should be an exemplary one. We shouldn't have uh, two different people. We shouldn't have our church person and our prayerful person and then on the other hand, have our work person. We can't have, we're one person in itself. So if we're Catholics, we should act like Catholics, whether we're at work or whether we're at home or whether we're at church or uh, or anywhere we go, we should always be one of Catholics as, as acting as a Catholic because that example that we we have really, that we, that we give, I should say, is, um, it, is going to speak more volumes than any words that we could ever say. So if, we, you know, someone thinks, knows that we're a Catholic and then 
at the same time we're using profanity or we're uh, consistently or we're you know talking about inappropriate things and, and whatnot, then they're not going to take us seriously. They never, they never, they never will. Uh, it's, it has to be one of my actions speak much more loudly than my words. <clears throat> so those two, we should always have those two general principles first and foremost in dealing with different people at work because that's something that we can always control and always uh, set forth is uh, is to be charitable and to and to be a good example uh, and most in most cases that's going to cover a large portion of interaction with people at work we can't change who who our coworkers are we can only uh, do our best to, to maintain our own Catholic integrity in our lives so <clears throat> that's the first part of it thing is <clears throat> okay now we have to actually interact with them what do we what do we need to do well when we when we are seeing these people living in various states of, of sin the first action towards them should not be one that is uh, that is seen by them necessarily but is something that we should do on our own is prayer for them um, you know and that's we have to, to spiritualize our interactions we have to be praying if you if someone is living a lifestyle that causes that that gut feeling and that knee-jerk reaction of that's wrong and uh, you know I don't know what to be doing our you know our first course should be you know when we're when we're with ourselves that it should be prayer for them remember I mean a lot of these people probably don't have anyone at all praying for them and you might be the only one and we you know we're not going to change anybody without the assistance of god we're not going to nobody's going to convert without grace and that the you know our source for grace for people is going to come chiefly from our prayers from our from our offerings to god uh for their intentions for their sake and so right know, uh, and our, our lady said that so many people go to hell because there is no one to pray for them i think that's a particularly relevant quote right Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and oftentimes people get themselves into the, you know, it's the funny thing about Catholics. We always feel like, I think it's because of, especially in the United States, we see this model of the Protestants, you know, standing out on the street corner with sandwich boards around them, you know, with some sort of one-liner about, uh, about Jesus saves all or something like that, or Jesus is your Lord and Savior, accept him or whatever. And we think we have to actually be out there standing up on a soapbox doing something but in reality those you know while well intentioned those those actions really don't do much I mean uh, rarely do you have someone pulling over on the side of the road and seeing the, the Protestant man with the sandwich board and going you know what I never really thought of Jesus being my Lord and Savior but maybe seeing as you have a sandwich board on maybe I think I should rethink this you know that's I mean right. that usually doesn't right. do anything good but what does do something good is when we have interactions with people all the time and we're praying for them behind the scenes every day and then all of a sudden something happens in their lives and what do they remember well I'm having a tough situation right now in my life and I can I have all these people that I can talk to but the one person that I know I can talk to about a serious matter with is John or Susie because they always in their demeanor they're always kind and charitable at the same time I can also tell by the way they act 
that their beliefs are not just words or, or things that they do on Sunday, but they're consistently always acting in a, in a way a Catholic does. They're, you know, people notice it. People will, 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 in, will just instinctively know that someone that they work with is a good, good and pious person because of the way we act ourselves. And with those prayers, it, it, you, we never know. It, it, you know, God is always trying to open doors for salvation for people, and, and by our prayers, um, that might open a door for a serious conversation later on down the line, or it might open the door later on for them to, to question the, the lifestyle that they're living uh, because they've been getting graces, actual graces, uh, offered to them by God due to the fact that we're praying for them. And... <clears throat> And so that has to always be our first line of defense. That's where we're actually going to to do good. That's where we're actually going to. And and we always think that we're not doing something by praying. Okay, I've prayed, Father, but I need to do something. No, well, just just pray. I mean, that's that is doing something. That's an active uh, work in in that way. Most of us aren't going to be called to to stand up and you know, stop preaching against things. Most of us are, are simply called to, to good Catholic lives and to, and to prayer and to, and, and to charity in, in, in that regard. And, uh, and we'll gain souls for Christ, whether we see them or not. You know, we know by our faith that, that even if we, it's not the conversion of the people that we're necessarily around, it might be conversion of people that we never seen before. I like to say, uh, I've said in, in sermons before in the past, and I'm like this, say to people that each and every one of us is here, especially during these dark times in the, in the, in the church, the, the crisis that the church is under. If we have the faith now, the only reason is because someone has prayed and sacrificed for us. Whether we've met them or not uh, is, you know, we don't know until eternity, but we do know that someone has prayed and sacrificed for souls and for, and, and that is why we've come to accept those graces from Christ in these times. So, you know, that's a, an important part to remember as well. Um, you know, and if it does lead to conversation, you know, if if some at some point someone does talk to us seriously in the workplace, you know, that, you know, oh, you, you ask us about things of the faith and ask us why, why we do, you know, why we, we are not like the other people we work with sometimes in regards to our uh, language or and things like that, then and it leads to a serious conversation, then, then all the better. But we shouldn't go into it expecting to having to stand up and, and, you know, get integrally involved in the, in the, the secret lives of everybody at, at work. Um, uh, then, and if we have the opportunity to talk, then we, then we do, and we should be ready to give, you know, information about the faith and we should be ready to give handout uh, if someone is willing to accept, you know, the sacramental like the green scapula, for instance, or that's a rosary or whatever, a medal, uh, whatever it may be, you know, that that can also be a source of, of, of actual graces towards the conversion of, of another person. You know, if, if someone is willing and, and ready to accept something like that, then, then great. You know, we should be, we should be ready to, to give those things out. I, I oftentimes carry green scapulars in my wallet just for the sake that, you know, you never know. I could be on an airplane and, and talking to somebody and, uh, and have the opportunity to, to give them a green scapular and then, you know, pray for their conversion along with the prayers of the green scapular. So it's, 
it's always um, always being ready in those 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 situations. Um, but with that, all of no, those are all I was going to say, Father, you I think you you you've given us a good pregame situation, right? This is yeah. what we do, you know, before we have a situation, and then uh, I think you're getting us ready for the situation. <laughs> right. Exactly. So now that's that's uh, that's how we should always be in action no matter who it is and no matter where we're working or who we're running into. Um, but now we have to realize that, okay, that's, that's good father. But what about these actual situations? You know, gay people, uh, homosexuals at work, people that are living in sin, divorced and remarried, etc. Now say that so-and-so, for instance, you know, now we have situations that come up with it. Well, we have to remember that our other principle is never to participate in the sin itself. It doesn't mean we have to be rude or off-putting. In fact, we should never be so. But we can't. We cannot, under no circumstances, participate in it. So it's one thing that if we have, um, you know, Mike, who's known to be a homosexual working at our company, and we see him at the coffee pot, and we say, "Hi, Mike. How, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Oh, good. You know, did, uh, you know, did you have a, a good weekend, or did you, you know, is uh, you know, nice weather today, or whatever? You, you know, little small talk type of things. Then, you know, those are all well and good. But what happens if Mike comes and asks us to, you know, to lunch, or Mike asks us?" to go to his house for dinner or something. And there needs to be a different differentiation there, you know, that, um, you know, that it's one thing to be nice to Mike and to be nice to him and work and everything like that. But when you hear that, oh, Mike is marrying Tim and we're taking up a collection from the workplace to get him a gift for his marriage, uh, quote unquote, to, to Tim, uh, would you like to make a donation? Then we have to say, no, no, thank you. I, I would, I would not care to make a donation uh, to the to that you know office gift. And um, and and that's those are areas where we have to make a stand. We don't have to make a stink, but we do have to make a stand. You know, we don't want to, you know, start crusading through the office place about uh, you know, about you know gay marriage being wrong and, you know, start getting very preachy about it because then all that people hear is, you know, that all that a lot of the people will end up hearing is, is bigot. If we have to, that we're a bigot, you know, that's what they'll end up thinking. But if we have to explain it a bit, then we say, you know, I'm a Catholic. I don't, I don't believe in, 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 um, in, in, uh, homosexual marriage. I don't believe that that's something that's, that is from God or part of the natural law. And, uh, and so I, I really would not care to, to donate to, um, to the, the office pool for his wedding gift. Or if he invites us over to dinner, then we just have to politely decline, you know, thanks, but no, no thanks, Mike. I, I would, um, you know, uh, I like working with you, but uh, I would rather not, uh, uh, come over for dinner or I, you know, I'd, I'm not going to be able to, to, to do a dinner or something like that. Um, you know, that's, we have, we can't, you know, go to his house and then sit down for a nice quiet dinner with him and his, um, his partner, if you will, oh, same thing. And the same thing really applies to the person 
living in sin um, that, okay, you know, John invites us over to his house because his living girlfriend is, is cooking a, a big dinner and wants us to, you know, wants to meet us who John really likes and, in, in his life, you know, at, at work. And so we have to basically separate that and say, no, it's okay that I work with you and I, that, that's fine, but I'm not here to, uh, I, I'm not comfortable going to a situation like that. I'm not, that's not something that I do. And, um, and so we have to, at those times, make a stand and say, this is not, this is not something I'm, I'm willing to do. And uh, once again, it's not that we have to get up there and start denouncing each person that we work with for their lifestyle because most likely they're not going to listen to us anyways. But we do have to, by our actions, make that stand and say, I, I can't go. On a different note, though, if Mike or, you know, the, the, the practicing homosexual invites us to lunch and it's just him and it's like during the work day and like, oh, why don't you and I go get a sandwich? Then there's no there's no harm in that. You know, there's no harm in the fact that we're we're going out with said coworker for a sandwich during lunchtime. You know, this that's not participating in the sin. Going to his house with him and his partner would be. Is that uh, a, a clear dis- distinction in that in that regard? Yes, Father. And and, and the way that you're framing it, um, there's a passivity here. So someone might say, well, can I ask him to go to lunch? So, I mean, clearly you're talking about the idea of accepting invitations or taking up a collection and someone's asking you. Clearly, you're not going to go take up a collection for so-and-so's sodomitic marriage, uh, quote-unquote. But can I ask that person to go to lunch in the hopes that the conversation may turn to religion and I'll have an opportunity to chat with them about that? Or or is this simply uh, advice you're giving in a passive format? Um, well, in regards to like going to lunch, say once again, we'll use the, the the practicing homosexual Mike as our example. You know, the idea of going to lunch is, you know, if he asks, we can take him up on the offer. But before, what we also have to realize is that, you know, what I also don't want to create is, you know, the the idea that every Catholic is going to start searching out homosexual people in their workplace to ask to lunch for, you know, and then kind of browbeating them about religion because that's the, the flip side of it. While in it, so that's why I kind of hesitate towards saying, let's actively go out and try to grab, you know, all the gay people at lunch at work and, and invite them to lunch. You know, that's because it's you oftentimes finding that proper middle ground for Catholics is, is you know is something that we all need to be striving for, but we don't always hit the nail directly on the head with that. And it's and if we're looking for the situation to go out and in hopes of of creating a some sort of religious conversation, um, then I would say generally speaking to try to be more passive about it, to be just kind of to mind your your own business in that regard, because more often than not, if someone's living in that lifestyle. They might want to have a, a conversation based in, you know, like like this is a good theoretical conversation or something. But it, but in reality, you know, it, it's going to take a major stirring of grace to actually get them to to change their lives. 
that's a whole different question. And if we're just doing it so we can tout our Catholic horn, uh, then then we're not succeeding in anything. We're just more acting out of pride or out of you know um, desire to say something against uh, so and so's lifestyle based you know uh, under the the, the pretend uh, category of. Uh, well, maybe I'll open up a, a conversation that will be fruitful or something like that. It's, um, more often than not, we're just going to invite ourselves to into more crisis in the workplace, if you will, by, by doing so. Um, and that's not what we should do. In fact, really, you know, a good principle to have for ourselves really is is that work is work is work. You know, we go there to do a job. To, in order to provide for ourselves, to provide for our family, we don't have to feel like these people all have to be our best friends, and we shouldn't necessarily feel that way. You know, these people all have to be our best friends, or these people all have to be traditional Catholics, or they all have to think exactly the way I do. The reality of the situation is, most, if not, it, most, if will not think our way. If any will even think our the way we do, these people are. Are people that I work with, and it's not, it's fine to be nice with them. Perhaps on occasion I might get somebody that I'm that I end up being fr- more friendly with than others, or whatever it is. But for the most part, they're coworkers. And you know, modern society today seems that everybody at work is going to be my best friend. And so, but no, I'm I don't have to be so integrally involved with everybody at work's life. They're just people I work with. They just happen to be in the same uh, employment that I am in. And I have to get along with them at work, and that's fine. But I shouldn't feel obligated to go, you know, seeking out to be on everybody's Facebook page or, you know, to be the, 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 the one that everybody at the office really enjoys all the time uh, coming to, you know, I don't have to go to the, their kids' softball games and, you know, whatever it may be. It's, um, you know, they, they're just people I work with, and that's it. And if something develops into more of a friendship, then that's fine. But it's, but at the same time, that notion of, oh, I got to be best friends with everybody, and I got to, you know, try to go out there and try to convert my entire office is usually more based in our own our own pride than anything else. So does that make sense? Well, I think too, yes, no. And, and also father, again, that just goes back, uh, you know, we have listeners from all over the world, but a large number of our listeners come from the United States. And I just think this is symptomatic to America is that we want to get along with you. We want to make friends at work because we want to feel normal. You know, we want mm-hmm. to feel like we can talk about, regular things with people we 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 so desperate we're we're so marginalized in for our beliefs you know you could say broadly in society we we cling to oh you know you know you know joe from the office he's really conservative you know he's a republican but you know he he agrees with some you know some of the things i agree with and you you try to bridge you try to build bridges on this sandy ground because you have Mm -hmm. some beliefs in common when when christ isn't your common denominator and specifically christ um, you know, taking taking our Lord at His His word, not our interpretation of, of Scripture. Uh, right. And and I also appreciate that you you're talking about there being a, a unifying look at these things. So it isn't we're not just singling out homosexuals. You know, people living in sin, people who are divorced, or people maybe not living in sin but practicing that kind of lifestyle of fornication. 
there should there should be a guide there that these are not necessarily people who are going to be your best friends or they shouldn't right. be people you court as friends or try to cultivate as friends because there there's some fundamental problems that you have to deal with first. And I suppose too, Father, that applies to people who, you know, have come to Catholicism or come to tradition later in their life. So they have these lifelong friends potentially mm-hmm. who, who maybe are in these situations. They, and now we're going to cross over, I think, to the next part that you want to talk about, which is a far more difficult thing, which is family. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, you, you, well, you can pick your work, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Right. Yeah, so exactly. you can always, if the situation becomes untenable at work, you know, as hard as it may be, you can maybe always find another job. Um, yeah. But if I, so the middle ground between work and family is friends, because you can also pick your friends. You know, I've come, let's say you've come to tradition after years being out in the world and you have some homosexual friends and you have some uh, people who live in sin uh, in your life and you have people who are divorced and maybe you have a really, uh, really close couple in your life, but you know, one of them had, you know, an early, you know, mistake, quote unquote mistake marriage. And this is their, her second marriage or his second marriage. And, and you've been friends with them and, and, and now you come to the point in your life or that you're listening to this broadcast and, you know, father is now going to tell you, you know, how do I transition into into a Christian life, um, what do you do, Father? Is it, you know, do we do you sit down and say, you know, I've got to have an intervention with with all these people in my life? Uh, you know, does it? What? How do you? Once you're in it, so I think you gave a, little, a lot of good advice for someone who's already Catholic who's going into a situation with open eyes. But let's say someone wakes up from a dream, you could say, and now they're in it. They're in the midst of this. Um, yeah. Family and friends. What are some things that we have to think about? Yeah. Well, well. First off, I just wanted to comment real, real briefly on that idea of, you know, yes, we, on the one hand, we don't have to be friends with everybody at our office. However, if we do find, I don't want people to take away also that, okay, well, you know, I listen to the show and I can't be friends with people who aren't traditional Catholics. <laughs> you know, that's that's not what I want you to take away from it either. You know, you. you just because you might not be, you might be a traditional Catholic and someone else may not be a traditional Catholic, but, uh, but you guys get along really well or something doesn't mean you can't be friendly with them. And doesn't mean that, you know, you can't, you know, be involved in their lives, especially, you know, uh, if it's something that, you know, like you spoke, like the conservative, you know, gentleman at work or whatever it is that, uh, you know, a lot of people that you run into at work that might not see eye to eye with you on you know, Catholicism, are more or less going to be harmless in regards to having friends, and you can still be friendly with them. You can still, you know, have dinner with them or something like that, whatever it may be. But we're talking more specifically towards. First off, I think the idea is that don't be, don't feel that you have to be friends with everybody at work. And secondly, that you know there's a difference between being friends with someone at work and then also, uh, you know, participating in something that is sinful uh, in their lives. You know, that's we have to have that distinction there we can't we can't we don't want to just start casting off all old friends or you know start shunning people at work once again it's just uh you know it's 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 okay to have friends that are not necessarily catholics but it's um if you're living a very you know a very catholic life you're going to find that those friends who are not catholic that still want to stay your friends that aren't necessarily 
going to be the same number of people as you started off with. And, um, and that's okay. You know, it's, if someone doesn't, you know, starts to grow away from you as a friend because you've, uh, you've didn't go to, you know, if, if Mike take, takes offense because you didn't go to his quote unquote, you know, marriage to Tim, uh, and he doesn't really talk to you all that much at the office anymore. Well, that's okay. You know, we, we need to be willing to accept that and still be nice to Mike, but at the same time, realize, you know, know that we didn't have any participation in, in the sinful activity that he was part of. Um, now, you know, when it comes to, you know, close friends that we already have or family and that we have and, uh, and whatever that may be, you know, a lot of the, the principles from the people we work with carry over to, to that same thing. You know, family is family. You can't, you know, they're never not going to be your family because they're, they're related to you. It's, it's just part of, you know, what we, we part of what a family is. And like, like you said, Stephen, you can't choose them. Um, but you do have to, you do have to sometimes be around them. And, and for a lot of us, you know, myself included, that means that there's going to be a lot of family that you have that aren't good traditional Catholics, you know, participating in our lives. And that's, you know, it is what it is. Some, you know, not um, rare is the person that everybody that's related to them is is 100% on board with with what they're doing. And um, so, you know, we still, once again, those practice those those essential points from before still apply. We still have to be, just because they're our family doesn't excuse us from charity. So we still have to be nice. You know, we, even though they're family and we feel like we can be a little meaner to family, we shouldn't feel that way. We still have to be nice to them. We still have to be, we still have to, in family settings, we still have to live our lives in a, an exemplary way. We still have to, uh, uh, we still have to pray for them. We still have to be willing to give out sacramentals to them and things like that. Uh, it's just that, we, you know, we can't just, you know, we can't change jobs and then we can change jobs and forget about the people that we've, we've worked with before if they, if we were not close friends with them, but I can't change families necessarily. I, they're, they're always part of my family and we have to realize that. And we, and with that, with the family setting, we also have to realize that there's going to be times of, of or more opportunity in that regard for for interaction. It's one thing if you're at an office and you kind of say, well, you know, I don't want to get necessarily dealt deep into everybody's personal lives and everything like that, and so I just kind of keep to myself and do my job and then go home. Well, you know, that works more in an office situation. You might not know someone is divorced and remarried in an office situation and that's okay you don't need to know everybody's marital status um <laughs> you know that you're working with in fact it's better off to not dig into those things but if it's uh but if it's um a, a, a family situation well then you tend to be more akin to the the, the situation as it is and and you're and you still might run into the 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 homosexual in your family or the, the people living in sin or divorced and remarried people or whatever it may be. And there's, you know, it's, you, you're going to have to interact with them at times. Now, now that's, but once again, it's going to be, what can you do? What, how can, how can we interact? 
you know, the biggest question oftentimes that comes up with that is, uh, you know, my, you know, my so-and-so, my cousin or brother or sister or, you know, aunt or whatever it is, is, say, a homosexual, and she lives in, you know, Kansas somewhere, um, and they're coming to, she's coming to, to visit um, my, my city. It wants to know if she can come over, you know, meet up for, with me for, come over to my house for dinner or something like that. Can I have her at my house? Well, then we have to make a distinction, you know, is she traveling alone or is she traveling with her so-called partner? You know, if it's with her partner, then no, I'm sorry, you know, you can't come to my house for dinner. If she's traveling alone, then there's certainly a lot more allowance for that to happen because it's not a participation. You're not recognizing their, their, um, their, 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 their illicit union in that way. You're, you're just simply, this is my aunt and, um, you know, and she's by herself. She's just happens to be in town and she, and she's stopping by for dinner. That's, you know, two different, two different situations there um same you know and then the other flip side of that is well what happens if we're all invited you know there's like a big family party and aunt jenny is going to bring you know her partner um susie what you know what do i do then it's a it's a family reunion do i just skip the family reunion or do i because they're both going to be there or do i go well, you know, when it's a large group setting, like a family reunion or a family Christmas party or something like that, then you're not participating in their union. You're you're essentially just going to the family party, and these people happen to be there. Those are that's a totally different situation than okay, we're we're you know, it's a we're rather than you know, this is you know, me and my wife are going to meet up with you know Aunt Susie and her partner. That's you know, two different. Um, settings and two different actions to be taken in that regard. It's we one is participating in their sin and one is not. You know the family party is acceptable. The the the, the intimate dinner with with uh, the so and so and their illicit partner is is not uh, an acceptable situation. And um, and so we have to make that distinction with it you know same thing with you know with people living in sin you know if uh, my cousin has a living girlfriend and um you, you know they invite me over to their house then i have to say no but um if they if they both show up to the thanksgiving dinner at my grandmother's house or something then you know i shouldn't stay away from Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, I still have to, you know, I still have to be part of the family, do my best to, to, to do those things. Now, this is, you know, this is if, you know, of course, this is under the, the auspice of, you know, a family is functioning basically like a, like a normal family, if you will. And sometimes they have the, the people not living their lives the way they're supposed to be. You know, it's each person has to make their decision on how involved they are with their family. Um, in regards to you know if some some people I know end up being very much persecuted for their faith in their own family and tend to take a less involved uh, stance with their family because they're more persecuted uh, and that's their own decision that has to be made 
with it has to be made with you know um always leaving a door open for you know family to 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 come back and to maybe talk to us because they know that who we are and what we stand for and believe in but sometimes you know if it's especially when kids are involved if it's going to be something that is like uh, uh you know a major catastrophe that could you know really uh, hurt the faith of our children or something like that. Um, and sometimes we take a step back and say, well, you know, for the, the kids' sake, maybe maybe we stay away a little bit because this is just going to turn into a disaster or uh, or someone is really um, uh, a bear to, to be with. But, it, you know, when you're showing up, generally speaking, when you're showing up to a family party, you control the time when you show up and – Generally speaking, you can control the time that you leave as well, and um, exposure to uh, people who might not be living correct lifestyle or might use bad language or you know or whatever it may be is you know generally sort of minimal in that regard. Okay, we went to grandma's house, we did the the Christmas thing, and uh, you know Tommy and his living girlfriend were there, but uh, you know we saw them for a couple hours and then we. We left and we did kind of our niceties and uh, and that was that. And, you know, for the most part, the kids, you know, wouldn't be affected by something like that. But it's um, but it's a it's a matter of um, of uh, really trying to find that balance. You know, if there's, you know, you, at the same token, you might not want your even if your aunt was coming to town by herself, we'll go back to the the, the, the practicing uh, homosexual relationship aunt there and say she was coming to town and she was by herself but you know that she's really like a loud and proud person and she's going to try to really talk to the to the to the kids about you know like uh, you know this is my partner jenny and she's so sweet and you know we can love each other too and she's despite the fact that you tell her that you don't want her talking about these things she's still going to do it anyways then maybe you don't want to invite her over for for dinner even in that circumstance so it has to be kind of all weighed out and all these situations are very much subject you know that's the that's the big thing is it has to be made with prudence it has to be made with charity as its first principle but at the same time you know also realizing once again, I'm not participating in their sin, and I'm not um, going to uh, I'm not going to to do anything that's going to be a really a very dangerous situation for for my 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 own dependents, my my children especially. You know, like if uh, if it's going to be a, a, a real threatening situation. So, um, and you know, and with like anything, and we'll we'll probably say it several times today. Anytime you have questions, if you have a question like, should I or should I not go, or this is my situation and it's kind of confusing, or I think it's kind of borderline or whatever it may be, don't hesitate to ask your priest. Don't hesitate to, to call upon him. It's, um, you know, first off, it's his job to, to, to help you see, see your way through these type of situations. And secondly, you know, um, and that's what he's trained for, you know, as well. He's trained for making good moral decisions. And then secondly is the point that even just from a natural point of view that he's an outside set of eyes. You know, he's, he's, uh, he's, he doesn't, he, oftentimes, especially with family, our own feelings get mixed up in it and we're, you know, and clouds our judgment towards something and, 
and sometimes we need that outside objective set of eyes to say, no, this is this is what I think is going to be best for your situation. This is how you should approach it and and go from there. And um, so, you know, don't don't hesitate to call upon your priest to, to ask him, you know, how should I how should I deal with this situation or uh, in, in my life? Uh, because um, yeah, that's part of our job. That's what we're we're here for. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to Pastoralia Episode 4 on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm Stephen Heiner, joined with Father Stephen McKenna, and today we've covered quite a lot already. Uh, the first part of our show, our episode today, was um, doing some cleanup work from Episode 3 about uh, work on Sunday and reserved sins and confession. Father's then uh, gone on to give us some general principles about how to be and, and treat with people in the workplace, letting your actions speak louder than your words, to prepare the ground for anyone of goodwill to actually engage with you. And then we transitioned over to some discussion about family. And uh, obviously, we, we have to, we've got a lot more to, to cover there, Father, but I wanted to pause for a minute and, and go back to a, a clerical conversation show that I did with uh, Father Chicada and Bishop Sanborn last season, uh, in which I inadvertently used the word gender. And uh, Father Chicada let, let that go for about 30 seconds uh, before he said, now, Stephen, you know, you got to be careful about using a word like gender. And then he gave some, some really important uh, uh, advice about, uh, you know, the, the changing of words and, and what that means. And I was thinking about the fact as you were talking about people in the workplace and knowing, you know, who was divorced. And, and I thought to myself, I'm one of these people that's completely clueless. You know, they, they make this reference to gaydar. You know, do you have a you know, good sense of gaydar? And uh, I'm clueless. You know, someone, I, 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 could, I could hire somebody to be an employee for me and work with them for eight months. In fact, I can, I can think of one case specifically. They worked with me, they worked for me for a year before I found out inadvertently through a, a personal conversation we were having with each other. And I found out at that point that that person was a practicing homosexual. But I had no idea. I think partly because it's not relevant to my working, as you say, if I'm just working with them and we don't have a, a friendship outside of work, but we're friendly, uh, friendly enough to have a personal conversation, then um, it, it doesn't, re- it doesn't, uh, it doesn't occur to you. Now, that being said, I, I just used the word gaydar, and I wanted to reflect with you about that use of the word gay versus, let's say, the use of the word homosexual or what sounds very harsh to modern ears, sodomitic. And I wanted to, to get your take on that, Father. What, you know, what should be our position? Is that are we adopting the, the words of the revolution if we use something like gay? Uh, and of course, this changes in different languages. They they don't use that same word in, in French, but um, what? Um, and in some languages, they don't even have a word for it. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, what? Um, what should? How should we discuss this? Well, you know, I mean, the proper, I guess, for the English language, the proper technical term would be homosexual. You know, that would be, you know, that's. I guess that's. Uh, what has been the more PC term, I guess, if you will. And you know, I'm not necessarily, and I'm sure Father Chicago would agree that, you know, we don't tend to really concern ourselves overly about being politically correct all the time. And, you know, what's adopted by um, the world as politically correct is not always necessarily the terminology we're going to use. And it's also not always 
the correct term, uh, you know, to, to be used. Uh, in, but at the same time, I guess that is the more politically correct term, and you can, and you know, for us to use that is is something that you know is 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 perfectly, you know, fine. There's nothing wrong with that, that term. Gay. I mean, it, it is a changing of. That is a um, colloquial term that, I mean, in reality, the, the, the meaning of the word is, is, is happy. And, you know, if you read older books, um, you know, I was just um, I was just listening to while well, I was I was just came back from the missions and, and I do a lot of driving for that. And so I listened to audiobooks. And one of the, one of the books I was listening to was a bunch of the short stories of Father Brown by uh, G.K. Chesterton. And there's oftentimes he, you know, he uses that term gay, but he's talking about someone just being of a happy disposition, you know, and that, and now that word is taking on a, a whole new context in, in, in life, you know, that the, you know, we, you know, for someone to say, oh, someone was, someone was gay, we don't think the same thing anymore as we, as we did 60 years ago in, re- in regards to that term. And it's, um, and so we have to be cognizant of that and we have to recognize that. But as for, you know, like fear and trembling over using gay rather than homosexual, I, I don't feel that, that, you know, I have to necessarily worry about just because someone who's extreme politically, extremely politically correct is going to say, well, you know, that's not really the proper term for these people. Well, you know, it's also not something that is overtly offensive. Now, when you talk about something like sodomitic, that's more of a calling a spade a spade type of term, I guess. You know, and when you break it down to brass tacks, that's what that's what that type of uh, that's what that type of relationship, I guess, in in that regard would be, because it's following along the 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 the, the, the sins of of Sodom. But um, at the same time, we also have to recognize who we're talking with, because on the flip side of it, we don't want to do something that is, we know that people who are actually homosexual would more than likely take offense to a term sodomitic in a, in a way of, you know, completely just shutting off us uh, as, as, as listening to anything that we have to say and would look at us in a, in a, in a through eyes that would just basically, while they're ignoring what good points we're making, they're saying, they'd say, well, we're just, you know, we're just bigoted type of people. No, we, you know, like St. Paul says, we want to be all things to all men to save all. Uh, and so if, you know, if using one word rather than another is going to be the difference between us being approachable or us being uh, just purely hated, um, then, then there's, you know, then I would say in that sense, we shouldn't go out of our way to use, you know, a term that a term that, while truly honest, is not going to uh, bear very much fruit in that regard. You know, now if it was like-minded people talking about it, and we happen to use that term, then you know, no harm in in that. But we also have to be be somewhat careful in in not trying to 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 not trying to give any credence to their. They're going to attack us anyways, just because we take a stand against that lifestyle that they're going to, you know, they're going to assume that we're, you know, bigoted people oftentimes anyways, but we don't want any credence. We don't want to give them any credence to it because we want them to separate the, the true argument, the reason why we don't go along with it from 
any kind of feelings that we may have towards that. You know, we don't, you know, we don't want to, to give them any more leg to stand on to not listen to us than they, or to not reflect upon it than they already have. So for me, I, you know, I would, I would, uh, I would caution people against using harsher words, especially depending on the, the, um, depending on your, your, um, your, your audience, if you will, I guess, you know, for, like I said, for, if it was just like-minded people purely talking and someone had said sodomitic relationship, you know, I'm certainly not going to take offense to it. It's, it is what it is. But, you know, if I was at work and I started talking about it in that way, um, you know, that could be very off-putting and, and basically turns any, anything that we have, anything intelligent that we have to say on the topic into just kind of noise because they've already shut us off due to the fact that we used a certain term rather than another one. So um, that's the sense that I, that I think on that is that we should, you know, we should reflect back to that first point of be nice. You know, I mean, we gotta be, we gotta be nice. And if that means choosing one term over another, just for the sake of, uh, um, you know, not sounding hateful in our speech, then, then we, you know, and we can, and we're able to do that, then we, then we should be able to. Now, Father, I want to um, pause for a moment and get to a couple questions that we had from, from Facebook, which, which are not areas we've talked about today. Uh, one, is on, uh, one is on single mothers and the other is on, on non-practicing homosexuals. Now, obviously, if someone's a non-practicing hom- homosexual, we, we may not know it because it's, not a, it's the opposite of being loud and proud, I suppose, right? It's something that you would keep to yourself. You, you, wouldn't, tell, you wouldn't tell a bunch of people about it. So... I suppose this question is is informative for someone who is in this situation. And um, the question from from Facebook was, what is the church's teaching based on on scripture of a homosexual who is not sexually active? How does a homosexual live a meaningful life whilst at the same time having to exclude themselves from taking part in sports, et cetera, because of sexual temptations? It is well known what the church says on sodomy, fornication, et cetera, very little is said on homosexuality in its purely non-sexual, non-externally activated context. Uh, not, uh, not our easiest question today, Father. <laughs> no, but the, the the answer to it is relatively simple. You know, it's if someone who has the dis, the, the disorder of 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 a, of a same sex attraction, if you will, uh, and I think. Uh, uh, you know, and I think that's a good distinction to to make. You know, is that you know, if someone has attraction to the, someone of the same sex as themselves, they're they're in no way evil in themselves. You know, I mean, that's it, it's a disorder. It's you know, it's a disorder of thought and disorder of desire, and it's to be treated like any other temptation. Really, you know, if uh, if I'm not married and but uh, was a straight person and I was tempted to, to fall into sins against the sixth and ninth commandment. Um, I have to reject them just like someone who is, is, has homosexual tendencies and has temptations towards that. You know, they have to reject those temptations the same way. And if, if there's, you know, and for those people who, and I know that they are out there, I know that they exist and, uh, and, and who have that heavy cross to bear, and if they actually bear it manfully, I mean, and, you know, by manfully, I mean, you know, you know, courageously, um, then, 
you know, then they're doing, a, they really actually are doing a heroic action. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, it's not going to be known to most people because that's not something that needs to really be talked about, really, you know, unless it's someone who's trying to give courage to other people who have the same disorder and is telling them, like, you know, listen, I'm, I'm doing this and you can do it too type of thing. Um, otherwise, generally speaking, it's not known except for perhaps maybe you know it in your family or a really close friend or something like that. And that's, you now that's a different, different situation. But, uh, but for the most part, the person you work with who's got the, the rainbow banner over their desk, you know, that's not going to be the one that's not a non-practicing uh, homosexual, you know, that's, uh, but it's, um, for those people who, who bear it manfully, it's, it's just like any, uh, you know, nobody who's create, you know, nobody has a, an impossible situation to save their soul. So if they are, have this, this, this disorder to, um, and, you know, they, they, this is whom they're attracted to, then they have to protect themselves as the, the, the person who wrote the question points out, you know, I mean, avoiding perhaps like, you know, participating in certain sports because of the locker room or whatever it is as being a temptation. Well, yeah, that, you know, that's part of, you know, turning away from temptation, you know, in the, in the same way. Um, and if they're doing so, um, then it's, you know, then they're just as much a, uh, you know, just as much a Catholic as, as anybody else would be, you know, there's no distinction there. They're just simply rejecting a temptation that comes to them like any other myriad of temptations. And perhaps theirs is a, a bigger one for, you know, from the scriptures. Uh, and, you know, I think the, the, the most pertinent one would be of our Lord talking about, uh, you know, everybody, you know, has to pick up their cross, carry it and follow him. And so everybody's going to have their cross to bear. Everybody's going to have temptations that are most pertinent to, to to them to their own you know to, it, it, as the old saying goes Stephen I've never met a temptation that I didn't like and so you know we're tempted by it because we're attracted to something but we know it's to be uh, to be uh, to be illicit and we reject the temptation and uh, and so if someone is, is you know, attracted to someone else of the same sex and they reject that temptation then it's you know it's the same mode of Gaining virtues as you said, any other temptation, and um, and you know, and that's and that's fantastic. If we know someone in our lives that is non-practicing homosexual, then we should be careful to not open up a door for t- temptation to them. Uh, you know, um, but uh, at the same time, we should treat them just like any other person. Really, I mean, I don't, I don't know uh, any reason why we we shouldn't. You know, we shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't. We should. You know, they. They. We. We should be feel free to be friends with them and to do anything that um, that is appropriate with them. You know, whether it be dinners or uh, you know playing something like golf or something. I. I don't know. You know, whatever you want to. You guys have as a common interest, and that should be fine. Um. The second question there, Father, which is a segue into a sacramental issue, is uh, the question reads, how do Catholics treat a child who is born outside marriage and their parents? I, I suppose they mean the parents of that child. Are Catholics allowed to acknowledge the birth, congratulate the parents, et cetera, and how does this apply to family and non-family situations? And I, I suppose the implication there is, 
uh, is it like everything else? You know, when when the child is born, you know, is the baptism celebrated with the same regular solemnity? Um, uh, you know, what happens, you know, to a single mother who uh, who wants to, you know, get married later, you know, uh, or she finds a, someone to get married to, you know, does the church celebrate a marriage in the regular solemnity? So I suppose there's some sacramental questions tied up with this, but I suppose we want to go back to our original question of what's our position? How do we treat single mothers that are part of our, our par- parish life? Uh, potentially. Uh, obviously, I think all the distinctions you already made in the workplace apply, so we don't need to revisit that. So this would probably right. be something a little closer to home for some traditional Catholics. Well, I think any chapel that you, you go to, you're going to have people that are single parents, or they're going to be people who may have had children out of wedlock, or whatever it may be. And, you know, it's just one of those things that the uh, it, it happens to traditional Catholics just like it does to to people in normal society, hopefully in a, a lower percentage. Um, but it happens. And um, if it's someone that's truly a single mother um, or, uh, you know, whatever it may be, then, you know, then perhaps there's a situation where, you know, and by single mother, I mean, you know, uh, they had a child out of wedlock and now they're on their their own you know they're not they're no longer in that sinful relationship but they're just truly on their own trying to raise their child you know then perhaps there's there's ways that we can help uh you know to uh you know that person in that situation or whatever it may be we certainly shouldn't treat their children any differently because you know it's not their fault that the situation that they were born into and um you know so they should be be treated like any of the other kids in the in the in the parish and um and uh, you know whatever it may be from there. Now, if we're talking about someone who's living in a situ- situation that is sinful or still part of a situation that's sinful, um, you know, we shouldn't be saying, "Hey, congratulations on your baby," you know, John and Julia, or Susie and you know Timmy or whatever, you know, because um, because you know, congratulations on your on your baby because. It was, you know, you had a child born out of wedlock. It's not something to be congratulated. It's not something to be lauded uh, as a situation. But if it's something that is, um, you know, so it's just kind of, you know, you, you can ask if the baby is healthy or, you know, how's, you know, is, how's the baby doing? Is the baby healthy? And oftentimes we can get away with not sounding rude while still not congratulating on that by just asking purely about the child, you know, like, Oh, is, you know, all 10 fingers and 10 toes and, you know, oh, yes. Okay. Oh, great. Wonderful. You know, uh, that, that, uh, that's good to hear that, you know, that everything went well and, and stuff like that. And, but it's not, you know, Hey, congratulations, because you, you, you can't congratulate someone on, on a, a situation that is a, in and of itself a bad situation. Now, them in the parish, you know, we shouldn't, you know, necessarily ostracize them, or we shouldn't ostracize them in the parish either, because, you know, part of the reason, if they're especially if they're having their child baptized, or uh, and and going to make the best of a bad situation and make sure that the child is raised with the faith and realize that they made a mistake, and that's 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 what happens in life. Sometimes people make mistakes. Um, you know, we don't want to shun them and relegate them to a corner or something like that it it needs to be you know um 
we need to be positive in, in the assistance to help them with the, the Catholic uh, rearing of that child to make sure that the, that just because they came from a, a unfortunate situation doesn't mean that they are uh, are no less children of God and that, that you know and that they have a duty to save their souls too and we should give them all opportunities to be able to do that um, so you know that's where we have to you know charity has to reign supreme in that we don't congratulate um, you know a mom on uh, or a mom and a, and a dad for you know bringing a child into the you know into the world by sin but we do realize that the, you know there's no changing it. The, the child is coming into this world, and we have to, and we have to make the best of that situation. And that is um, that we should uh, that we you know that child should be treated just like any other Catholic child um, in, in that regard. Now, also, it's we should also realize too that oftentimes those um, traditional Catholics shouldn't you know should also realize that there are some areas that. Um, just not their business as well. And, you know, we, uh, it seems like a lot of times that, you know, another area that sometimes oftentimes people fall into is that they feel like they're overly involved in someone or they should be overly involved in someone's life when it's really none of their business. You know I mean? If it's just someone that you see on Sunday at mass uh, on occasion and that, uh, you know, you know of the situation, but it's, you know, you're not particularly, you know, best friends with them, or you know, they're, you know, the god parent in their their life, then, you know, you shouldn't necessarily feel the need to to really meddle in it either, because sometimes it's just none of your business. And um, and so, um, but that being said, if you are intimately involved, say you're chosen to be the child's god parent, or your, uh, or whatever it may be, then, you know, encouragement should be given to the child and, and, and instruction in the, in the faith should be given to the child and made sure that it's seen and, you know, prayers and everything like that. And that there's a way to, to encourage the, the parents to get out of the sinful situation and either make it right by a proper Catholic marriage or, or, uh, to, or to, if it's not a good situation, then to have them to be separate or whatever it may be, then that's so be it. We, you know, then that that's the duty of those who are, their family or the maybe the godparents to their children or and most most especially to to the priest you know that's um that's where the way we should deal with that so and 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 just to clarify father there are as you say there's not a punishment for the child are the celebrations of the church any any more muted if if there is a sinful situation that that uh, you could say gives birth to the problem so if if it's a if it's a child of a single mother, is it a regular baptism? And if you're the godparent, is it is it a regular baptismal ceremony? If if someone is a single mother and they're getting married to the father after, is it a regular nuptial mass? Are there any does the church change any of her ceremonials if the circumstances are unusual? Um, well, for the baptism, for sure, it's uh, it's just going to be. Um, so baptism is just going to be uh, a baptism, you know, plain and simple. There's no real difference of ceremony in a baptism. Once again, it's not the child's fault, uh, and so the yeah, and baptism is focused around the removal of the of original sin from the from the soul of the child and them becoming a child of God and and uh, you know in the in the church. 
And so, therefore, that's the only thing that might change to that ceremony. It might be, uh, you know, usually a priest would give a little um, small uh, admonition to the godparents to to about you know their duties their duties as godparents. And if it's a situation where it's you know an out of wedlock situation, that admonition might be um, slightly more emphatic because of the fact that. You know, they they have to realize that their their job as godparents might be a little little more weighty because of the situation that they were born into. Um, as in regards to the the wedding of uh, of people who have a baby before they were were to get married, um, you know, that's something that's more subjective. Uh, you know, it will depend on whether or not they're both Catholics. It'll depend on the whole situation. Oftentimes. It might be a regular, ma- ma- you know, wedding with regular nuptial mass and everything, but it might be a quieter ceremony because of the situation that it is. It might not be this big um, wedding uh, where you know all sorts of people from all of the parish come. But that's more of a subjective, you know, case by case basis, and uh, you know, oftentimes left up to the discretion of the priest. And so that one's kind of. Um, you know, that, that one's not as cut and dry as a baptism, per se. Fair enough. Um, I've got one more question, Father, and then I, if you don't have anything to add, I want to move us into the, the last portion of our of our episode today. And I have a feeling as I'm going to read, this is a question from, from Facebook, I have a feeling as I'm reading that this has not been an entirely hypothetical situation. You know, people say, well, I have a friend. You know, so this one, right. uh, this question is pretty, pretty obvious that this isn't your friend. Uh, and the question reads, what does one do if uh, one has a large family with young children and the only one willing to babysit for them is a non-Catholic grandparent who may ignorantly try to encourage the children in sins like lying and immodesty? A little too specific to be uh, my friend. So uh, thank you for right. whoever wrote that question, Father. How how would you deal with that? I guess there's a there's a babysitting question here, and then there's a grandparent question. Yeah, I think I'm not one. I you know, especially where it's so specific, I don't really want to get too too involved into it because that would should be something that that person should should talk to their their priest about. You know, that should be uh, because you know while it's very specific, not knowing the person or the circumstances or or the temperament or leanings of whether they're overly scrupulous or they're, or they're, uh, you know, or what it may be, um, you know, I don't want to necessarily comment directly on that, that, that question. You know, that person should, uh, should seek out their priest and, uh, and ask them and that priest should be able to, to give a good, uh, good answer towards that. Because, um, anytime when we, when we have, um, like a question like that, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot more information that goes with the situation than that than just is on face value of a, of a question like that. So um, to whoever wrote that in, you know, talk to your priest, ask him, lay out the facts of, of the situation, uh, you know, and then he can help decide whether it's really something that's truly uh, a danger to their faith and, you know, in which, they, you know, that situation uh, where, where in which you should avoid something like that or if it's, something that is perceived to be possibly a danger to the faith, but in reality, it's, you know, it's not all that dangerous. And, 
um, and you know can be allowed or something. So so um, so that's that's my answer. My answer is to not really answer that just because there's so many possibilities that can come with that and and it should be asked of someone that actually has knowledge of the person and the family situation and uh and and the rest of it well and i think it's great brother you you pointed out all those different considerations uh you know that a priest has to keep in mind that today we can lay out some general principles for you but Father isn't going to be able to answer every particular case. You know, if you don't have a priest that you can rely on, please write to Father, um, and you can get him at pastoralia at truerestoration.org. It'll be confidential, and Father can respond to you um, about your particular situation if the general principles that we've been talking about today aren't entirely clear. For those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Pastoralia Episode 4 on the Restoration Radio Network. Stephen Heiner with Father Stephen McKenna. And today we've been talking about how to live and work with the non-Catholics in our lives. We want to remind you that Pastoralia is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. If you're listening to our show in iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to leave us ratings and reviews. It helps those looking for truly Catholic programming to more easily find our work. Father, is there anything else you'd like to say on the on the issue of work or family situations uh, that are challenging before um, we get into the last part of our episode today? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. I think I I covered the the basic points. You know that you know those basic principles are uh, apply, and if the people have questions. Um, then you know, really seek the advice of your of your priest. That's the 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 the, 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 the big thing is that uh, we can't we can't cover all of the individual uh, questions uh, on a radio program, but we can we can uh, certainly give some basic principles. So uh, and for other things, just just ask your priest. You know, he's, that's what that's what he's there for. Our last thing that we're going to talk about today, Father, is the the hot button, always uh, hot button issue of weddings and funerals. Not not mm-hmm. not simply uh, the religion, the religious aspect for us as traditional Catholics, but even for traditional Catholics, the question of Novus Ordo or Fraternity of Saint Peter, Indult, or SSPX. Uh, as this, uh, you know, especially there in Cincinnati, you know, uh, Father, you've got you've got everything there, right? You've got the Fraternity of Saint Peter, you've got. Uh, um, Indult, you've got uh, CMRI, you've got everybody's there. So there's there's a yeah. lot of people who are going to be friends with people who go to different churches. They still go to the traditional mass. They may even go to a valid traditional mass. But uh, what are some general principles we need to keep in mind when we are invited to a wedding or a funeral, and uh, how we that, that we obviously, as you say, that there are some individual cases which you may need to talk to your priest about. But what are some general principles we can take to the bank to help us make okay. decisions here? All right. Well, you know, first off is that um, if you, you know, funerals are usually pretty easy. You know, if it's a funeral, uh, I mean, you're you're essentially, uh, and it's non a non-Catholic funeral. 
or it's a Novus Ordo funeral or, or even like a Indult or SSPX funeral and, some, and it's someone who is very close to you, then um, generally speaking, you can, you, you can attend those, those things. It's, um, you know, because as long as, you know, if it's something like the Novus Ordo or, you know, Indult or, uh, or a non-Catholic ceremony of any kind, um, then we don't want to be taking any kind of active participation, maybe just kind of be in the back and, you know, pray your rosary or whatever it may be and, um, and say prayers for the, that person's soul. But, uh, you know, it's, it should be, um, you, so you don't want to be saying the prayers along with them or, you know, singing the, the Protestant hymns or anything of those in that regard. Um, but just, uh, you know, just quietly praying for the person's soul. So, you know, funerals are usually pretty cut and dry. Uh, that being said, you shouldn't feel <laughs> obligated to go to all these, you know, non-Catholic services just because you know somebody that died and is, you know, going to you know, is going to be buried out of out, out of such and such, you know, you know, uh, you know, Fifth, Fifth Street, you know, Christian non-denominational church or whatever it is, and you know, you're someone you work with is going to be buried out of there. You don't necessarily, you shouldn't feel obliged to go. And in fact, I would say you probably shouldn't go because we don't, we want to avoid non-Catholic um, worship whenever we can. And uh, and the general principle is that you're not allowed to part, to, um, to to be at non-Catholic worship. But if it's someone who is close to you, either a good friend or a family member or something, and that is buried out of something like that, then you know, then you're more there for uh, support to the rest of the family and to offer some prayers for their soul. And you just don't partake in, in the funeral itself. Um, you know, for everybody else, you can usually pretty much get away with either um showing up to like to the wake beforehand you know the, the, the viewing of a body or and uh and offering condolences in that way or you can get away with um you know writing a nice card or something or just expressing your sympathies but uh but for the people who are close to you then then you know certainly exception can be made for the sake of a funeral um Marriages is where it gets more sticky, you know. It's, uh, and, and Father, I'm sorry. One one last funeral question. Um, obviously, yes. communicatio and sacris regarding formal worship, but what about let you know they they do a lot of these rosaries um, at the body, you know, the night before the burial. You know, what what should we think about that? Oh yeah, rosary for. I mean, we should you know wholeheartedly pray a rosary for somebody and if it's a if it's a group of people praying the rosary for for such and such a person um then generally speaking there's there's no problem just because it's maybe done through a Novus Ordo church but they're still going to actually offer a rosary for the, their soul beforehand then you know that's um you know then that would be fine you know, I, there's no, I, I suppose if they choose to say uh, the luminous mysteries you can just pick a different set of mysteries to do <laughs> I, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Stay away from luminous. Uh, you know, hopefully they'll pick one of the three that actually comes from Our Lady, and then uh, <laughs> and, and leave the the JP two concoction on its own. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, you know we should always you know something where it's a rosary is offering prayers for their soul. That's you know generally speaking to be committed, you know, uh, and to be you know it's, it, we should not hesitate to pray along with them. Um, weddings, weddings is 
often sticky. And if there's any time during uh, this show that, like, talk to your priest will apply, no more apparent than than in times of weddings would that would that be there. You know, that's something that. Um, you know, really should, uh, you should really talk with your priest about if you have a situation that comes up like, oh, you know, my aunt and, and her, boyfriend, her boyfriend are getting married and it happens to be here, can I go? Um, talk to your priest because there's so many possibilities that are there that it uh that you know no two situations really are all that alike we can apply some general principles though you know that um if you, you know for instance if two people are novus ordo catholics and have always been novus ordo catholics and they're both it's both their first marriage and they're eligible to be married um and they're close very close to you meaning that they're uh either relatives or um you know, or close friends, uh, then you can, you know, once again, passively participate at it. You know, don't go being, you know, the bridesmaid or the, you know, don't go being, you know, the seventh maid of honor or whatever they do now or you know, of all these, these, these kind of sort of weddings, but, uh, but to show up to show your support for something that would be a true marriage, um, you know, then, then that's then that's okay, you know. And even even extending out to uh, once again, if it's someone who's actually truly actually close to you, and they're both Protestants and always have been in their life, then uh, then that's you know, then that there's nothing wrong in attendance at it as long as we're not actively partaking in in it. We're just passively attending. Um, but when you get into all the sticky stuff of annulments, which essentially for the most part there's no way of granting today. Um, you know, there's, uh, then you're really, or, you know, if it's something that's immoral, we know divorced and remarried is an immoral marriage. You cannot go to something like that. If it's something where a Catholic is getting married in a Protestant church or a Catholic is being married by a justice of the peace, then we cannot partake in that. Uh, if it's something that's, you know, a, a, a sodomitic marriage, then absolutely not, obviously. But, you know, the more sticky ones, you know, annulments or, you know, oh, but this annulment comes from this group rather than this group or whatever it is, talk to your priest about it. Um, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, it, they're, they're all just very sticky situations. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's going to be, and each one is individual. You know, to get into um, to get into that really is uh, is something that just it can be taken care of by you know, father, so and so. This is my situation with my you know brother and and his soon to be supposed sister in law. You know, this is their their confounded situation. Can I can I go? And the priest will know what type of questions to ask in that regard, what, where to lie on it, and uh, and then can make a, a proper judgment in that. But you know, unfortunately, what happens a lot of times, and what we have to prepare ourselves for, is sometimes we're going to be unpopular with our family, or sometimes we're going to have to be unpopular with our friends because we're going to, we may have to say, "I'm sorry, but I cannot attend your wedding." Um, uh, because we have to, you know, we can't partake in something that in itself is is evil. And so, um, 
you know, and when you, so when you're dealing with, uh, um, you know, so and so's third marriage, well, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't come, you know, because uh, it wouldn't be right. So, and so we have to, we have to gear ourselves up that you know, we can, we should be nice about the way we put it, and but we, we at the same time. We have to we have to stand up for the faith and for the for the, for the truth of marriage, you know, before we stand up on before we worry about what other people are going to think about us in that, in that regard. You know, it's interesting, Father. Uh, at a young age, I think I was around eleven or twelve, and we were still in the Novus Ordo. I was in the Novus Ordo until I was seventeen, and. There was a situation which has forever defined our relationship with our American in-laws, and that was that one of my cousins, who was beloved, uh, you know, we loved all of our cousins, you know, when we came to America, we lived with them, and she was getting married to a divorced Episcopal man, so Catholic, strike one, he's not Catholic, and it's not going to be a Catholic ceremony, strike two, he's divorced. So, of course, yeah. she's very happy about it, and she, you know, uh, at the time, I don't think we were living in Texas. We were living in California, and she sent uh, my father tickets or offered to send my father tickets, and my father not only said, you know, no, we're not going to accept the tickets, but we're also not coming to the wedding. You know, Not only that, we can't recognize the marriage as valid. Mm-hmm. Um and it was it was it was it was helpful in a couple of ways. Obviously, it was a very painful thing because it was easy to just write off all of the children as just having to do whatever uh, my father said. So you know, they they there wasn't any ill will born towards us. You know, it was all my dad's fault, quote unquote. You know, because we we you know as a ten year old, eleven, twelve, or and all my younger sisters, we couldn't decide to get on a plane and quote unquote go support my my. Uh, <laughs> my cousin. So they just attributed right. to my father, but they didn't realize that over the, we, we supported our, even at a very early age, we supported our father's decision because we had been raised that way and there was a right. permanent rift. But what was really helpful and revelatory was that my, my aunt at the time said to my father, family first, you know, before religion, which was fascinating to me because I thought, what kind of life is that? You know, religion just becomes a sports team or a sentiment that uh, right. if, if family comes first, that family is your religion, which is what my, you know, there's the scene in A Few Good Men in which, uh, you know, the Marine, you know, says unit, Corps, God, country, and God is somewhere yeah. further down the line from, from where the Marine Corps is. You know, the code there is family, God, and, you know, if family is your religion, well, wow, you're clearly you're living out your religion. But for those of us for whom, you know, the the scripture verse, you know, I come not to bring peace, but a sword has, has real resonance and meaning that our Lord wasn't joking around or he wasn't saying, well, just for some of you, but for the rest of you, you won't have to worry about difficult family situations. That, um, that was very, that was a lesson was visited upon me early in my life. And I've watched as that part of our family, extended family has continued to spiral out of control in terms of uh, rejecting the Catholic faith and uh, taking positions against Catholicism. And it, it come, it came down to the fact that it was not modeled by my aunt and, and, and to this confrontation very, very early on about marriage. It's such a, it's such a fundamental issue for, for a lot of people and it's defining, it'll define the way that you 
you have that family relationship for the rest of your life. Oh, for sure. And, you know, and that's the thing with, with a lot of people who have really, truly secular mindsets, they have that, you know, family first mentality. And, you know, we're not here to poo poo on the family. That's for sure. I mean, it's, you know, family is extremely important, but, you know, God always has to come first because ultimately, you know, one day, you know, I might love my family in this life, but, but one day I'm going to have to die and eternity begins. And I'm not going to be standing up, you know, for judgment before my, my parents or my cousins or something for my eternal salvation. I'm going to be standing before our Lord. And so I have to serve him first as the, the highest of all things. And then, you know, the, the family is, you know, high up on the list in importance, but it has to come after God, you know, and that's, and that's the thing. And people don't, you know, people don't always realize that even people who seem to be good Catholics sometimes will, you know, will stand up for good things in principle. But then if it happens in their family, all of a sudden they start to waver because it's, well, it's, you know, it's my son, it's my daughter, it's my mother, it's my whatever. And all of a sudden they start to waver in their principles in that application there. Well, you know, no, it's the principle remains. It's, you know, it's just hard to make the decision now because it's your family, your own flesh and blood. And, but you still have to choose what's right. You know, you still have to do the, 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 the correct thing. You have to honor God before all else. And, um, and sometimes that means making a, a tough decision. So, um, no, that's, that is certainly something that you, you, you say that story, Stephen, and I think that, you know, more than a few of our listeners will certainly have uh, that resonating true in their own lives as well. That, you know, at some point there is there was the choice to be made and and they had to they have to choose. Uh, and we have to be ready for that. And if it hasn't happened in your life yet, then, you know, you still have to have it in the back of your mind. At, you know, at some point, perhaps I, I, I may have to make that decision. So. Yes. Yes. Is there anything else uh, we should we should keep in mind on weddings, funerals, or about any of the topics that we've uh, talked about today that we we've skipped over? You wanted to go into a little bit more detail on, or or we forgot about before I let you go. No, I think that'd be basically it. Is that you know once again people you know hopefully have learned some of the catechism in regards to you know, not going to non-Catholic worship, and that includes weddings for the most part, but uh, but when things get a little gray or, or sticky, then, you know, once again, we, we, we have to have the principle that we cannot participate in something that is wrong and sinful in itself, and so we have to avoid those even if it's difficult in our lives, but at the same time, if it's a gray situation and we don't know whether or not uh, allowance would be made or that we could participate in you know, someone's wedding or something like that, um, then, you know, once again, ask, ask your priest. You know, they're the one that have the, the proper training in, in moral theology and, uh, and, uh, can, uh, and the, the science of theology and can apply the, the principles correctly to your specific situation and, uh, and can give you some guidance in the right direction with that. And, and like you said, if, if there are people who do not have access to, to, to priests, to help them with the decision, then uh, and they certainly can feel free to, to write to me, and, uh, and and I can do my best to, to help them with that as well. Um, but um, you know, it's, it, uh, if you do have a priest that you know to be a good priest and trust as a good priest, um, then uh, then you should then you should uh, talk to him. He he'll know you best. 
uh, rather than uh, than someone else, and he'll be able to help you in your situation, whatever it may be. As always, Father, thanks so much for your time, and and we'll uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Stephen. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or simply even an ave for our work the next time you pray. If you have any questions or comments or would like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. Again, mail at truerestoration.org. For the Restoration, I am Stephen Heiner. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.